how many of you are familiar uh, with the name uh, of, a, of a guy who had a short stretch of fame, and his name was Larry Walker? Larry Walker. Now, just before some of you raise your hand, some of you are avid, avid baseball fans, and you're going down Larry Walker Road right now for baseball. Not that Larry Walker. Does anybody remember a Larry Walker that became famous in the early 80s for something that he pulled off? Larry Walker, on July 2nd, 1982, uh, which also happened to be my ninth birthday. Those two great events have nothing to do with each other. But July 2nd, 1982, Larry Walker, living in Southern California, just decided he needed a break and he needed to see some things differently. So Larry Walker, July 2nd, 1982, in Southern California, did what you and I would do if we needed to see things differently. He got a lawn chair. He got 45 weather balloons, filled them with helium, and had some friends cut the little cords and ropes that were holding him down to the ground so that he could float up into the air. Larry anticipated that he might fly up into the air a few hundred, maybe a few thousand feet. What Larry did not anticipate when the last cord was cut was that he would fairly quickly make it between 15 and 16,000 feet in the air. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, uh, but uh, I wouldn't have naturally thought of all the problems that that would cause. Um, That's a a problem when you live in a place where there are planes, okay? Uh, That gets people on notice. That gets people running to get you a rescue. Now, Larry had a plan. He had a plan. He had taken a pellet gun up with him, and he began to gradually, one by one, shoot some of those balloons so that he could gradually get himself down there, which was amazing until he dropped the gun, So there was Larry, several thousand feet in the air, just hoping for a different perspective with balloons and a parachute attached to his lawn chair, needing a rescue. And on that day, Larry Walker was no longer known as Larry Walker. He became known as Lawn Chair Larry. You can still search about Lawn Chair Larry, like Lawn Chair Larry. It's a super old story that for whatever reason, I've started to hear about again. I've heard it in a couple environments I've been in. I've read it in a couple books, newer books that I've read, like people going back to Lawn Chair Larry. Now, here's the thing. Um, I don't even fully know how this is possible, but did you know there's actually a helium shortage in the world right now? I don't even fully understand how that's possible. But uh, for those of you who were just taking notes feverishly about how many weather balloons it takes to get 15,000 feet in the air, you probably shouldn't do it, and there's a helium shortage anyway. So don't be lawn chair Larry. But how many of you just know that sometimes you just wish you could get a different perspective? Like you could just like do something to like get yourself up above and see things a little differently. How many of you know that sometimes even when you don't want a different perspective, you kind of need one, right? Sometimes we just need a different perspective, right? Um, If you're not sure where you need a different perspective, ask, ask the person sitting next to you. They've got a list of places you need a different perspective, okay? We, it just happens, right? And, and really what we've been doing over the last few weeks is we've just been saying, hey, could we get a different, could we get a fresh, could we get a higher level perspective on this gift that Jesus gives us that he calls the helper, which is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that Jesus would give us. See, Jesus, while he was on the earth, when his time on earth was coming to an end, he pulled some of his followers kind of around and he said, hey, listen, 
I know this has been amazing, and I've done miracles, and I've, I've been, done some amazing teaching for you, and you want me to stay forever, and you're, you're kind of hoping I do some things, but I'm actually going to give myself up and die. I'm going to allow myself to be crucified. I'm going to come back from the dead, and then I'm going to go back to heaven, and that's actually going to be better for you. It's going to be better if I leave, which is a little mind-numbing to the people who are closest to Jesus in the moment. They can't imagine it being better with Jesus gone. But Jesus says, that's going to be better, and here's why it's going to be better. It's going to be better because if I go, I can actually send you, I can send you my spirit. I can send you my spirit who's going to be a helper to you and a strength to you and a comfort to you. And for a lot of us, it's days like today um, that for some people are full of celebration and for some people are just full of pain. And for some people, it's full of both celebration and pain at the very same time. We find ourselves counting on or wishing there really would be a helper that we could lean into, that we could find comfort and we could find strength in in days like today. Well, Jesus says, that's the the kind of helper I want to send to you. And that helper, that spirit in you is going to be greater than anything else you're going to encounter. It's going to be stronger, going to have more fortitude, that the Holy Spirit's going to have more endurance, more patience, more love than anything else you're going to encounter. And that spirit in you is going to be powerful and full of ability, full of dynamic strength, full of love, the ability to both receive it and give it, and full of the ability to think clearly and have this sound mind in in the world in which we're living. She says, that's the spirit I'm going to give you. And over the last couple of weeks, we've just been exploring, well, what does that actually mean that Jesus would give us his spirit and How does that actually play itself out? And just to dive back in there this morning, we're going to go back to a verse that we've kind of landed on and used as a launching pad. And some of these words to Jesus in John chapter 14, and this is what he says. We'll just pop it on the screen for us here this morning. Here's what he said. This is him talking to his followers about, I'm going to get ready to go and I'm going to give you my helper. And he said this, I'm going to ask the father and he will give you another advocate, which literally means helper, one who would come alongside, one who would, who would intercede, who would be for, who would strengthen, who would comfort. I'm going to give you another advocate to help you. I'm going to give you a helper and he will be with you forever. Not, meaning not just for long term, but for in every breath. I'm going to give you a helper that in every breath of your life, he will be with you. And he's going to be the spirit of living truth and living understanding and fullness of life. And I love that. And he says this, now the world, people who aren't following me and won't believe in me, they, they can't really accept him because in order to accept my spirit, you've got to accept me. Like we're, we're kind of a package deal here. And because it neither sees him, it can't understand him, and it doesn't know him. But you, you followers of me, you know him. You know this spirit. For he lives with you and will be where? What are the last two words? He lives with you and will be where? In you. Now, just look, I hope we never lose amazement with that. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, here's what's true. The Spirit of God literally lives in you. In in you. The Spirit of God does not live out here somewhere lovingly at a distance or lovingly tolerating or loving. He lives in you. And I hope that forever forever. 
that's amazing and captivating to us. That the Spirit of the living God would live in, in us. In us. But the question would have to still become like, okay, so that's, that's great. And last week we talked about how to be filled with the Spirit. And if you weren't here last week, or maybe you're a guest day and you kind of wonder, like, how do people think about this living with the Spirit? Um, I, I just, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen or watch last week's uh, message while we talked about that. I said before we started last week that last week would be a day that literally changed some of your lives, and that was true. And some of you are now living with a different experience with the person of the Holy Spirit uh, because of his offer and his generosity in that. But the question becomes like, okay, if the Holy Spirit is in us and lives in us, like, what does that mean? What happens when we receive the person of the Holy Spirit? What, what happens when we receive the Holy Spirit and he lives in us? What so what? How does that change anything? What actually happens? Let's talk about it. There's a couple of things. Here's the first one. If you want to write these down, that's great. If that's helpful for you, that's, that's great. Here's the first one. It's simply this, that when we receive the Holy Spirit and he lives in us, when we're walking with him, we receive a new heart. Or if you wanted to, you could use the word spirit as well there. We receive a new heart or a new spirit. Here's the reality. We talk about this a lot, but let's just have a moment of, of, of review. If you've been around Journey for a while, you're a three-part being. You've got a physical body. It's, it's, it's your bones. It's your skeleton. It's your structure. It's, it's, it's your skin. It's your eyes. It's your ears. You've got a physical body. That body is just a housing mechanism for two other parts of you. One is your soul. And you could define your soul as your mind and your will and your emotions. It's your soul is the, is the motivations you have. It's, it's what you're drawn to. It's, it's passion points. It's, right, it's how you think. It's not your brain. Your brain is your body. Your mind is the way in which you think, the patterns in which you think. It's the thing that draws us to, to, to certain vices. It's our soul. It's how, we, it's how we feel. Our soul is where our feelings are, are, are housed. But then you also have a spirit. You have a spirit. And your spirit is the only part of you that is going to live forever somewhere. Your spirit is the only part of you that's going to live forever somewhere. Your spirit will live forever united with God in his presence or not united to God and out of his presence. And when we give our lives to following Jesus, and we receive his spirit, he actually gives us a new spirit. Let's look at the way Ezekiel in the Old Testament of the Bible talked about it. This is the way Ezekiel described it. God talking through him. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. I'm literally going to do a cleansing, washing, renewing work in you. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'm going to help get rid of everything that you've based your life around that's not me. It was not to say this. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I'll remove your heart of stone, the one that's that compliant, can't hear me, won't listen to me, and I'll give you a heart of flesh or a moldable, pliable, shapeable heart that's drawn to me. And I will put my spirit in, look at thousands here for Jesus, we're already hearing it. I'll give you my spirit. I'm gonna put my spirit in you. I'll put my spirit in you and I'll move you. I'll compel you. I'll be your motivation 
to follow my decrees and my ways and to be careful to keep all of my laws. And all of that is so we can experience this. Then you will live in the land or this promised condition that I, that I gave your ancestor. You'll be my people and I'll be your God. This is how we're going to live this thing out together. I'm going to give you my spirit. Now, here's the thing. Did you hear? I'll give you a new spirit. What Ezekiel is getting at is this reality that when we surrender our lives to Jesus and to following him and we receive his spirit, our spirit is taken from death to life in a moment. It's just a blink. Okay, we go from death to life, separated from God to united with God. We literally, in that moment, we become new. We get defined as new creations, new beings. Jesus described it as like born again, like starting all over, right? We're, we're born again. But here's the challenge, right? If, if we say, look, I'm, okay, I've got that new spirit. Why do I still do things I don't want to do? Why do, I, why do I not do all the things I wish I would do? If I'm this new creature and I have this new spirit, why does God somehow still feel far off? Why do I not seem to be able to figure out how to follow him and what that actually looks like and how it actually, how it actually plays? Why do I still seem so broken? Why? Here's the, here's the thing. While our spirit is made new in a moment, we still have this soul deal to deal with. We've still got this soul that's been alive since the moment we were born and is bent towards self. It's bent towards getting what we want and how we want it, right? It's why nobody ever has to teach a baby to be selfish and claim things for themselves, right? Your mom never bent down and told you, now, say the word mine, and then say it with attitude, mine, right? No, that was never a mom's responsibility, right? That one just came naturally, right? That just kind of came rolling out of all of us, right? That's the soul bent towards self. And so what we have, we've learned to live from that soul. And so when we, when we find ourselves following Jesus and full of his spirit and with this new spirit, our life is still patterned around this, this soul. And that's why there's this ongoing transformation because what the spirit wants to do is help us live from the spirit where we're full of him. What the Spirit wants to do is say, oh, no, like, let's change the grid. Let's change the launching pad. Let's let the Spirit, your Spirit, that's full of my Spirit, let's, let's let that be the leader of life. Let's let that be the leader of life. So we get, this, we get this new Spirit, and when we've got this new Spirit, then the beauty is, instead of fighting on our own and trying to labor in this thing and trying to figure it all out, and what the beauty actually becomes is that we get to participate get to participate and be a part of his transforming work in us. We get to engage it. We get to participate and, and play a part. We get to respond to, to the promptings of the Spirit, and we get to be engaged in this. See, participation is, is really what makes the distinction of following Jesus as opposed to following a lot of other things. I was having a conversation uh, a couple weeks ago uh, with a friend of mine who's, who's not a Jesus follower, and we were just kind of talking. And one of the things that comes up, and this, this comes up a lot, is, is he just self-described as, as not a very religious person, um, which I like it when people say that um, because I always get to say back what they never expect me to say back, which is, yeah, that's awesome because I'm not a very religious person either. And inevitably, they look, look back, and you can kind of see all the wheels turning, like, wait, dude, aren't you paid to be religious? Like, that's your thing, right? You're professionally religious, right? And it's just this thing, I'm, not, I'm not, really, not really religious either. See, because what religion does is religion 
picks up some set of standard or value that we have to motivate ourselves to engage in in hopes that we can make a God out there somewhere be happy with us. Where with Jesus, it's always motivated by him first. We're participating in his transforming work. We're filled with the Spirit so that the Spirit can lead the transforming work. And then we get to participate. Look how Paul wrote it a little bit later in the New Testament of the Bible. We've looked at Paul a lot in this series. He says this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation. Here's the thing. Don't get confused here. You say, wait a minute. I thought salvation was free and it was a gift and it was by grace. All of that's true. 100% true. Our spirit is saved by grace. We're made new. We're united with Jesus by his grace and his mercy. What Paul's talking about is, look, you still got this soul running around. Let's continue to help shape the soul and make the soul come in line under the spirit. Instead of the soul being boss, let's let the spirit that's full of the Holy Spirit be the leader of our lives. Paul's saying, continue to work that out. But here's the good news. You're going to get to work it out with God because it's actually God who works in you to will and to act according to his good and fulfilling way. All of our good moves, all of our response is simply that, a response. A response. I fully understand the place of self-help and the idea of self-help and all of that, but the risk of self-help is that if we're too focused on self-help, we miss God-help, and God-help is how we find the best help. God originates the moves, and we respond. We say it all the time. When we come here to worship and sing together and everything else— it was all God's idea. We didn't create it. We, it's not a new idea. We're responding to his work, his energy. Look at the way the Amplified version of the Bible plays it out, where it just expounds on some words for us. Continue to work out that salvation that is cultivated. Bring it to full effect. Actively pursue spiritual maturity and development. Actively pursue that. But look why, how we actively pursue it. For it is not your strength. Listen, somebody, somebody just needs to hear that. You've been doing this thing for so long and you're so worn out and it's never been life-giving. And here's why. It was never designed to be in your strength. You're, not, you're never gonna earn it. Continue to cultivate it, but not by your own strength. But it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to work, to live this thing out, to do and to follow him. That is strengthening. It's God who's strengthening, energizing, and creating in you. Look at that. I love this. The longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. How good is it that it's God who's energizing our life to fulfill the good purpose he gave us? It's not us having to energize it. It's not us having to prop it up. We're responding to him. We're responding to his counsel, his direction. We're responding to his motivation. And see, I think this is, I think this is so huge because I don't know about you, but I've tried to break some habits and I am rarely successful. Right? I just, I've, I've got some decent willpower, um, but I've tried to break some habit. I mean, right, you just think, I'm going to break a habit. Like, I could say to some of you right now, don't ever bite your nails again. Some of you are like, okay, never mind. Because right? Right? it's like, just change it right now. It's kind of tough, right? 
But Jesus is like, no, man, I'm going to give you my spirit, and my spirit is going to be your motivation. My spirit is going to be your energy. My spirit in you. It's going to be what leads the cultivation of change. You see, sometimes, um, sometimes the reason God's will doesn't make sense, it won't become clear. Sometimes the reason following God seems archaic and out of date and we're like picking and choosing the standards that God has for us is because we're the ones trying to lead. We're trying to lead hoping God will respond when God's always been the leader wanting us to respond. Grace is always the initiator. And things start to make more sense. Things start to have more life when we understand and we rest in this reality that, oh, it's the spirit in me that's launching the good, clarifying, transforming work of Jesus in my life. But there's an anchoring point to this. It's like, yeah, but how does, how does the spirit motivate me? What is it that that energizes me? What is it that makes the needle move in my life? How is it that that actually plays out? See, here's, the, here, here's some of the best news of all time. That when we receive spirit, what we're actually receiving is the one who will help us as we grow more settled in the Father's love for us. The Spirit helps us grow more settled in the Father's love for us. And, and you got to hear, the Father's already settled love for us. The reason we can settle is because he's already settled it. He already is loving us. Again, Paul, same guy who, who wrote the Philippian thing, he, he, he wrote about it this way in, in little letter to the Galatians. He said this, you can tell for sure that you're now fully adopted. And don't you just love the word adopted? Because he, he's talking about, you can tell that, that God has sacrificed for you. God has loved you in a sacrificial, self-giving, denying self way. God has now fully adopted you as his own children. And the reason you know that you're God's child is because he sent the spirit of his son into, there it is again, the spirit living in us, into your lives, crying out, Papa, Father, Dad, Daddy. Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave, but you are a child? See, part of what the spirit does begin to settle in our heart this reality that we are children of God and fosters this intimacy of connection and conversation. I told you I got a list of things. There's some of the most beautiful things my, that I get to hear. A couple of them, a couple of them are the voices of my girls in the morning, and I usually will encounter them you know, a few minutes or seconds apart from one another. And when, when, when the first things are, morning, Daddy, morning, Dad. And every now and then I get it with two, morning, Dad, every now and then. And I can hear, I can hear the inflections are different. From one, I get, morning, Dad. And one, I get this, like, lean before the words, like, oh, morning, Daddy. And it's just, I love it. And you know why I love it? Part of what makes that beautiful is that that they've settled into an intimate pace of conversation. They've settled into the fact that I already love them. And it, it fosters the, the conversation. See, love, 
love settles a lot of things for us. When love is the motivator, when love is the motivator, it's a lot easier to hang in on things. It's a lot easier to persevere. It's it's a lot easier to follow and to, to go with it because love builds trust. Love builds trust. We can naturally make a choice to give some people trust that we're trying to get to know or whatever, but but listen, at the end of the day, love fosters trust. Love, Love grows and builds and establishes trust. And see, trust inside of love is trust that actually can be rebuilt if it ever gets broken because love stays constant. Love builds trust. And the Spirit compels us with that love, confirms in our hearts that we are children of our Heavenly Father. And when we have that trust, what happens is that that trust then leads to transformation. Love builds trust, and trust leads to transformation. Love builds trust, but trust leads to transformation. It's easier to follow when we know that we're loved. There are a lot of ways that people can leverage our lives. There are a lot of ways that people can try and incentivize our lives. Blackmail, (laughs) gossip, slander, paychecks, being in the know, knowledge. Nothing motivates like love. Love builds trust, and trust leads to transformation. And it's important to settle It's important to settle and let the Spirit settle in us. Who loves us? Who loves us? When I was about five years old, um, uh, I've talked to you before, but my my parents divorced right around my first birthday. When I was about five years old, uh, my dad came to to pick me up one time, and my dad had, it was kind of in and out, again, fairly good when he was in, it was fine, but he came to pick me up one time, and uh, I remember in this little, little, little house that my mom and I lived in, uh, my dad kind of coming in through this, this back door, which was the one way I was used, and into this, this remarkably, remarkably small kitchen. And I remember preparing to leave with, with my dad, who, who I think my, 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 dad, my, my dad loved me, right? Okay, I'm not, not tonight. But I still remember my mom sliding in front of me in this discussion that I didn't fully understand at the time ensuing. And what had happened was my dad had shown up to pick me up already having had too much to drink. And I still remember my mom in this tiny little kitchen kind of having moved in front of me and me standing behind her and being able to see my dad over by this back door. And somehow at the same time, I don't fully know how to explain this, but somehow at the same time feeling a little bit nervous, but really settled. Really settled. See, my mom had already, in that season of life, built up enough trust by how she loved. She didn't all in one moment. She had loved and loved and loved and loved, and that love had built trust. 
unshakable trust in that moment. See, it gets easy to follow then. So I didn't argue. I didn't complain. I didn't try and convince. Because there's a resting that comes and love that leads to trust. Love leads to trust. Trust leads to transformation. And the way we partner with the Spirit of God and transformation in our lives is to let him settle in the depths of our spirit and then our soul that we are the adopted children of the God who is our Father. So let me ask you two questions just to leave you with them. They're not going to be on screen. They're just two questions. It says, we live this out. How do I know it's happening though? Like, John, how do, how do I know, like, I'm experiencing this work of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that I'm partnering with it? What, what am I looking at? Okay, see, because some of you right now, you're wrestling with things that you wish would change in your life. You, you're wrestling right now with things that you wish weren't the way they were, and you wish you could stop doing what you don't want to do, and that you could do what you want to do. And right, I, I get it. Me, me too in some things, right? I get it. Get it. So there's just two questions that every now and then can be a little bit of a, just a way to gauge where we are in this. Here's the, here's the first one. Am I becoming more comfortable and being loved by God and loving him back? Am I becoming more comfortable and being loved by God and loving him back? Is the conversation growing in intimacy and comfort? See, because here's why the second part of that's so important. Because if, we, if we're becoming more comfortable loving God back, it's always because he loved us first. Every time. Every single time. Am I becoming more comfortable being loved by God and loving him back? That's the work of the Spirit. That's the precursor to all the other transformation he motivates in us. Because it starts with his love. And then is it really taking shape? Here's the second question. Where am I seeing more Jesus-like qualities in my life? Where am I seeing more Jesus-like qualities in my life? More faith, more perseverance, more generosity, more self-giving, more sacrifice, more hope for people, less judgment. Where am I seeing more Jesus-like qualities in my life? It's these markers of just saying, oh, yeah, okay, okay. The Holy Spirit's more and more convincing me that I am this full child of God, that his love for me is great, and it's leading me to trust in his transformation because love leads to trust, and trust leads to transformation. Let's pray on it for just a minute. Jesus, thank you for your desire, again, to give us a helper. You're so generous to us. You really could have given us a code. You really could have given us a list of 81 things to do. And you just gave us yourself, and then you gave us your spirit, and we're so grateful. Father, thank you that you would would give us your son. I hope the thing that we don't lose in any of this is that this all starts with your generous love for us. This all starts with your willingness to be such a giver of yourself to us. So we want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your love for us. And we... We are drawn to trust you because of that. We trust you because your love is so pure, so sacrificial, so enduring. 
nobody has loved us like you have, even when we didn't love you back and didn't have any interest in loving you back. And so we trust you. And even right now, whatever issue or issues we find ourselves grappling, grappling with, whatever heartache we're trying to process, whatever grief we're sitting in, whatever sin we want to live free of, we trust Holy Spirit in your loving transformation. We will follow you. We're going to partner with you. We're grateful we don't have to figure it out and do it on our own. We're going to follow your lead. Thanks for living in us. We love you even for that. We pray these things, Jesus, because you made them possible. You made this whole reality possible. So we pray these things, Jesus, in the strength and authority of your name. Amen. Amen. Amen, everybody.